So, to begin, I thought I'd start with verse 16, very briefly, where it says, Again, the word of the Lord came to me. I was struck by this sentence, because it's a short sentence, but it's at the very beginning, and again we see the faithfulness of God in this sentence. That he is faithful in sharing with Ezekiel his heart. The sharing of intricate information with Ezekiel. Again, the word of the Lord came to me. In verse 17, we read of Israel's behaviour and how defiled, dirty, unclean it was. In comparing their conduct and actions to a woman's monthly uncleanness, the Lord is not singling women out here. Don't worry. No, he's actually highlighting that which he instructs in Leviticus 15 about what is clean and unclean. God is not sexist. He is actually reiterating points that he makes within Leviticus 15. That which is clean and that which isn't. And in verse 18 and 19 we read about God pouring out his wrath. We read about him dispersing people. God is just. His judgment is just. And then in verses 20, 21, 22, 23, going to read them and bits of them and see if you notice a narrative forming. And wherever they went among the nations, they profaned my holy name. Verse 21, I had concern for my holy name, which the people of Israel profaned. Verse 22, for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations. Verse 23, I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. The repetition in these verses is hard to ignore. Repetition in biblical narrative is never a coincidence. It is to draw one's attention to what is being said. And when we zoom into these four individual verses, we do discover a narrative and arguably a key theme or themes found within this chapter of Ezekiel. In these four verses, there are two main things to consider that interweave with one another. And the first is God's holiness, his holy name. God is holy. God's name is distinct, separate, different from any other name. His name is above every other name. As it says in Exodus 15, verse 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? God is unlike any other. He is self-sufficient. He is different from all other gods. And yet the second concept we consider in these verses is something we, like the Israelites, can so easily fall into. Profanity. To profane, 
characterised by an irreverence or contempt for God. In short, the opposite of holy. To profane what is holy is to make what is holy a common thing. But let's not forget this morning that our God is omnipresent. Present in all places at all times. He is omnipotent, unlimited in power. Omniscient, knowing of everything. And then, isn't it amazing that this God, we read in verse 25, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. All your impurities, all your idolatry. Not some, but all. All the stuff that drives our thoughts and actions more than God. As Tim Keller sadly passed away this week, he stated in his book, Counterfeit Gods, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. And anything that you seek to give you only what God can give you. Um, so I like visual things. So it's a big, big glass of water for a warm day. But actually, it very quickly becomes water that is not clean. We are like that water. At the very beginning, we were clean. We were without blemish. But then we fell and we continue to fall. We continue to muck up and get it wrong. The way the New Living Translation says the word impurity, it translates it as filth, which I think is actually quite easy to understand. We all know what filth is. We've all worn dirty clothes but it's the personal filth, it's the public filth, it's the secret filth, it's all of the filth. And Billy Graham says that it's only when we understand the holiness of God that we will understand the depth of our sin. And I read this quote and it did jump out to me because at the New Wine Leaders Conference this year in March, Just when I didn't really know what to expect. I'd only been working here three and a half weeks. And I spent most of the three days on the floor, kneeling. I've never been so aware of the holiness of God like it. And yet at the time I just shrugged it off and thought, I'm not getting anything out of this conference. It was only in the days and weeks afterwards that actually I realised I spent a lot of that time just on the floor. And it made me realise actually how dirty I am. And actually caused, I'm doing some counselling, mentoring stuff, and I ended up talking to my counsellor about stuff that I didn't think I'd tell anyone to. thought stuff that I'd probably die with because I was so conscious of my sin and conscious of God's holiness and how God's holiness and sin cannot come together. (coughs) They cannot be at the same time. They cannot interweave. 
And yet, in Jesus' death for sin, there is cleansing. Complete and utter cleansing. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. The old has gone, the new is here. Jesus was fully clean, or else his blood could not have been cleansing for us. So now, we're going to do something a bit different. We're going to pause at this point and remember the death and sacrifice of Jesus again. And in this, the Timothy Keller quote, idolatry, our filth, our dirt, is often a heart issue. Even more beautiful then to read that after being sprinkled with clean water, we will be clean. The title of the talk this morning is You Are Clean. Completely clean. And when we are clean, we are given a new heart. And in the ancient world, the heart was considered to be the centre of one's being. Some big words coming up, but the intellectual catalyst for feeling and action. The outworkings of a heart of stone could be willfulness, inflexibility. And a heart of flesh could be submission and compliance. Or again, as the New Living Translation puts it, the stony, stubborn heart and the tender, responsive heart. I know which one I want. But doesn't the tender and responsive heart sound like the heart of Jesus? Jesus, in every story we read of him, is tenderness. And in six of the approximate 33 miracles of Jesus, his compassion is specifically mentioned six times. His heart is responsive too. Time and time again, we read of Jesus drawing close to those that society said not to. In Matthew 4, 23, we read, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. In Luke 4, verse 40, at sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness and laying his hands on each one, he healed them. Jesus' heart is tender and responsive. And he wants to gift us with his heart. He wants to take out the stony and the stubborn and replace it with the tender and responsive. Later on today, I'm going into London to have a meeting about my previous placement and how easy it is for me to go into that meeting with a stony, stubborn heart. How easy it is for me to go in with the attitude of, I didn't deserve this, I didn't deserve that. But God is saying, no, I want you to have a tender and responsive heart. And it's so easy for all of us in our situations and circumstances 
to go in to situations with a set agenda. I'm going to get this, I'm going to get that, I'm going to get this. What if we're not meant to get anything? And it's in those challenging circumstances, those challenging conversations, that I think we're being asked by God to ask the question of, how's my heart? Before we even say a word, check ourselves. How's my heart? If it's stony and stubborn, maybe we need to spend more time with him. If it's tender and responsive, let's go, knowing that he will speak. And that it is his heart. His heart is tender and responsive. And responsive and tender doesn't mean everything's fine. It means bring challenge where there needs to be challenge, but there's a way of bringing challenge. Jesus brought challenge in tenderness. I think that's what, one of the ways in which he was so powerful. There was a sharpness to his gentleness. A strength to his direction. And it is incredible that we are given this heart of Jesus and that this is through the Holy Spirit. That's what we read in verse 27. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. How incredible that we have the very presence of Jesus living in us. And it's interesting because Spurgeon writes that the Holy Spirit cannot dwell in the old heart and defines it as a filthy place. As I said earlier, holiness and filthiness cannot come together. It's like when you put magnets the opposite way. They're drawn from one another. They'll always be counteracting one another. But when we admit that we're not enough and Jesus was enough, it's then that we can come together. And instead, Spurgeon suggests that God's first operation upon our nature is to pull down the old house and build himself a new house, that he may be able to inhabit us consistently with his spirit. And I'm quite a visual person, I quite like that picture, of an old house coming down and a new one going up. And with him, building projects don't have delays. But he takes his time. He's gentle with us. I don't see it as a pull down, blow it all up kind of thing. I see it as a dismantling, slowly, slowly. But then also a rebuilding of the new. And we read of, we've, I've read, and a lot of people are reading a lot about the new thing God is doing. The new thing needs to start in us. We're going to allow God to dismantle the old thing, the old ways and build the new that he may be able to inhabit us consistently with his spirit and is it isn't it incredible that because of the holy spirit god does not just dwell with us anymore but in us 1 corinthians 6:19 do you not know that your bodies are temples of the holy spirit and as Jesus himself says in Luke 11, 11 to 13, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? 
If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So all we need to do is ask him. Let's individually be asking for more of the Holy Spirit. And corporately too. It is the Holy Spirit that will transform us into becoming more holy. Living those holy lifestyles, those different lifestyles. Those lifestyles that when people see us, they see something different. And think, I want that. N.T. Wright, the New Testament scholar, says, Those in whom the Spirit comes to live are God's new temple. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. I love that last sentence. They are individually and corporately places where heaven and earth meet. You are a meeting place where heaven and earth can come together. And because of that, we can bring heaven into situations and circumstances, conversations and interactions. And I'm sure we all know Jess and Richie at this point. But I ended up sending Richie. Richie just popped up out of the blue. I said, oh, we should get coffee sometime. and We're going to meet up this week. And he said, I'm feeling quite distracted. I feel quite distracted too. For me, I deleted Instagram. And... He ended up deleting Facebook this week, which apparently was a huge thing because he gets quite distracted by Facebook. But I just felt led to say, Jesus is for you. He is your number one champion. When you want to give up, he's going, no, keep going. And it's so exciting how open they are. People are more open to Jesus than we give credit. And the challenge lies with us. Are we open to Jesus as much as we claim to be? (coughs) It's only his presence that will change us. It is the Holy Spirit in us that will enable us to follow the Lord's decrees and careful to keep his laws. (coughs) So I'm just going to read a page of the book that we're reading at the minute, The Church of Tomorrow. And it's a prayer. It's from a chapter dependent on the Holy Spirit. And I thought I'd read this and then we'd just make some space to wait on the Spirit. And then go into the song, Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. (coughs) But would that be our prayer this morning? You are welcome here, Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to read that prayer. And you may want to close your eyes to concentrate. You may just want to look up to the sky. But let's pray. Send your Holy Spirit upon us and clothe us with power from on high. Blessed are you, Creator God. To you be praise and glory forever. As your Spirit moved over the face of the waters, bringing light and life to your creation. Pour out your spirit on us today, that we may walk as children of light. 
and by your grace reveal your presence. Blessed be God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. We're just going to spend some time waiting. And uh, the youth that I've worked with, I always...